Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How are you? Doing well. Very well indeed, my friend. A win is a win is a win, Andrew. Yep. They don't all have to be pretty. Not that this was necessarily ugly, but... It wasn't great. We'll take it. We'll certainly take it. Uh, of course, we are here to talk about the U.S. men's national team victory over Costa Rica tonight in World Cup qualifying. J.J., right before we started recording, I said, wow, is that for real? And, and you kind of perked up and said, what? What are you referring to? And you wouldn't tell me. And until this moment. That's the first. I didn't even realize this until now. That's the first U.S. win against Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying since Snow Classico. Wow. Yeah, back That's... in 2013, in that famous game on that snowy night. That is that is probably on my list, certainly, of remember where you were when U.S. games. Like, that one was just so surreal and crazy to watch in that blizzard in Denver. In my, I was in my apart, old apartment in Astoria, and uh, yeah, that was, that was something. But yeah, first win against Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying since that. Well, you don't want to dwell too long on the last round of World Cup qualifying for 2018 where Costa Rica smashed us 4-1 in Costa Rica and then 2-0 at the, uh, where was it, Red Bull Arena? Mm-hmm. Disastrous. And completely owned both games. Yeah. Uh, this was not the case tonight at all. In fact, we saw a much wizened and aged Costa Rica mm-hmm. come out with with Ronald Matarita at 27 years young, being the youthful spring chicken of the crew. Which which made me laugh, the thought of that. And then when Yedlin came on for the U.S., they referred to him, what did John Champion say, something about like the elder statesman. Like He's basically the same age as the youngest player on Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, it, it says a lot about those two lineups that were put out there tonight. Once again, I feel like this is, this is such a broken record statement, but the U.S., I believe, once again, with an average age of 22 years, 229 days, their starting 11 was the youngest fielded by the U.S. men's national team in World Cup qualifying match. Uh, ever beating out the lineup from just uh, a few days ago against Honduras, like every every game they play now, they're setting a new record for the youngest team they've ever played. And, and no doubt that'll be a source of some frustration for our listeners, our supporters of the U.S. men's national team. That okay, cool, we keep hearing about this young talent. We should be blowing away those those rickety old codgers from Costa Rica, but it, it wasn't the case tonight. Uh, in fact. That, that game, for all the good that we saw, and we did see some good, certain passages of play, certain moments, it was it was toiling a bit. We toiled to a 2-1 victory. I wouldn't say struggled. You picked me up on that earlier. I was using the term, we're struggling here. Struggling's not the term. Struggling suggests there was a ton of offense from Costa Rica, which there wasn't. No. But struggling does, uh, does go too far, but I think toiling is perfect. We made... Uh, to use a phrase, I don't. Are you familiar with heavy weather? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heavy weather made heavy weather of it. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. It it didn't. I don't know that it needed to be as as nerve wracking as it as it wound up being. I mean, any one goal game where Costa Rica's lining up a, a free kick late on, you never know what can happen. We saw a bounce of the ball there where it kind of settled around in the box before the referee blew the whistle for a foul. So you know, like, yeah, you're kind of hanging by a thread when you allow. It to be in that sort of situation, but by the same token, I don't, I don't necessarily know that that means the U.S. played poorly tonight. Now, obviously, obviously, 
it started poorly. It started horrifyingly, yeah. given what we were coming off of against Panama. Um, and, you know, I guess this is these are the kinds of growing pains and learning processes that when you're going to play the youngest squads in U.S. Men's National World Cup qualifying history, like these are the things you're going to have to work through. And there's there's a little bit that's encouraging to take out of that. Um the U.S. I just saw this stat, JJ, from ESPN Stats and Info, that the United States entered the 2022 qualifying cycle with a five-game losing streak when conceding the first goal in the hex or octagonal play, and this is now twice in just the last couple games. This game, Honduras, where they've conceded first and they've come back and won. Uh, so you know, for a young team to now do that semi-repeatedly, semi-frequently, that's important. That's a team that does not hang its head after going down early that's a team that sees the long view that you know okay we yeah we can see it in the first minute there's 89 more we're gonna be all right we're better than them uh and you know so i i do i don't want them conceding the first goals that's that's dangerous you're playing a dangerous game when you allow that to happen but i like seeing them fight back i i think you make a very good point and i i hate to do this to kevin on instagram but i'm gonna I presume he tweeted this. He tweeted this at what time? Uh, approaching halftime. Uh, I say tweeted. He Instagrammed us. Where are the stones? No stones. None. McBride, Chirundolo, Dempsey, etc. USA had, oh, that word is coming up, Andrew. Great. Keyword. Had. It's gone. Oh. And the saddest part, I don't see an easy fix. Now, Kevin, we introduced this word grit into our podcast when we had Stephen Mandis on to talk about his book and he identifies this intangible of grit into the side and um, it's bollocks really I mean it's not true they fought their way back grit is not just winning tackles grit is not just you know climbing above the attacker winning all your headers sure that's part of it Grit is also sticking to your principles, working the ball, continuing to keep fighting. And by by fighting, I mean not actual physical play. I mean passing the ball, looking to get on the front foot, being aggressive in your attack. You can't say this U.S. team doesn't have grit. Not tonight, anyway. Whatever you want to say about Panama, about that distorted mess and the lineup and everything, you right. didn't see much grit that night. Fair enough. You can't say that about tonight. Is anyone going to sit here and tell me that Tyler Adams is not a gritty player? Was anybody complaining about the U.S. lacking grit or, if you want to substitute other or other similar words, intensity, things like that, when the U.S. beat Mexico in the Nations League final or when they beat Mexico in the Gold Cup final? Was anyone complaining that this team lacked grit then when they were eking out tight wins? And, no. Andrew, no, it's silliness. Let, let's look at the equalizer. I, mean, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but okay. let's look at the equalizer. The equalizer, in the build-up to Serginho Desk goal, it took 35 seconds. There were 13 passes. There were nine players. That in itself, is a type of grit. That is a moral conviction, as John Giles used to say, to do the right things, to pass the ball, to move the ball. When you are uh, cowardly in football, cowardly is not the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway, I can't think of a better one. You, what do you do? You get rid, you send it, you hit it into the channels, you go long. The harder thing is to get your head up and play the pass, maybe even the difficult pass, 
and get on with the game. The US showed grit in that goal. Like We've got to move away from this idea that grit is all about last gas defending and sliding tackles and uh, you know when John Brooks gets into some Honduras player's face or all that stuff or a Gucci Agnewo. That's nice. Those are little things. But grit is much more than that. Grit is playing is continuing to play the way you should play the game. But by the way, those things do happen too. Right. Like Chris Richards had last ditch defending tonight that might have been one of the most important moments of the game. Now we can when we get to that, you know, I don't want to jump to okay. too many different things, but like we can talk about whether it was a penalty or not, but it wasn't called one, and so it has to go down as great defending. You know, Miles Robinson made mistakes, but he also tracked back. He's one of the fastest in terms of uh, recovery speed of any center back that the US have put out there that I can remember. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I guess everyone's definition of a word like grit is differently, but is different. But there are things that I see where I would never say that this team lacks that. I, 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 I couldn't look at Tyler Adams and say, no. Well, he's no Steve Chirundolo. He puts himself about. There's times when I, when I watch Weston McKinney driving forward, although sometimes tonight he overran the ball a little bit, but other times he reminded me and does remind me when he's on form of when Roy Keane was at like Nottingham Forest you watch those old videos of of him arriving into the box or, or dribbling the ball forward you know M- Yunus Musa same yeah. thing front footed football is grit too it's not all about you know blood guts and thunder uh, let's go through some of this so I, I mentioned the way this started obviously which was you know every USA fan came into this game nervous uh, coming off of the awful result against Panama and seeing that table tighten up a little bit. You're starting to get some flashbacks to what happened four years ago. Uh, and then for that to happen 60 seconds in, it was, it was like in the moment, it's the worst thing that could have happened. And, you know, I've watched the replay of it many times now. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're not getting away with that. Okay. Now, how dare you? I missed the goal. Oh, so I wasn't sure that you wanted this revealed. And for why? You offered to go get us food. I, because if we didn't, you, you see, you you can live, you're like a camel, and all those little humps on you, there's right. b- deposits of food. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. My body continues to feed itself repeatedly. Yeah, I've seen you like go through hours of watching football and doing this podcast and not eating. I can't do that. I can't. So you told me about the- <laughs> Oh, grow up. You can't go like an hour without eating? We, What's the matter with you? At this you have po- three meals a day. At this point, several meals. I was starving. So I said, I'm going to run down because right. the K show was, was not going to be finished till seven o'clock. So you were still working. I said, I'll run down for you. Grab the food. Great, great thing. By the way, pay for the food. Just saying. I handed you- Come on, that's not fair. I gave you money. You I chose not to use it. Didn't and want And now it. you're going to sit here and make it sound like I'm cheap. No, you're not cheap, but I didn't want your I didn't want your money. <laughs> you took it. Well, yeah. anyway, whatever. <laughs> anyway, I brought it back. Uh, point being, I missed the goal because I was ordering you the falafel special. Yeah. So good. What so, a great, great recommendation by me, if yeah. I must say so myself. And whatever it is, you don't, in, in the analysis, the halftime analysis in this country, I guess because there's so many adverts, et cetera, you don't get the full, you know, lead up to the goal. So I, I still don't know whether Stefan was in the wrong initially at the first phase of the play. What was, what, you know, I know Dest got skint. I know it wasn't offside. Letter the law, not offside at all. How, I mean, how could it be? And uh, but and I don't know if there's anyone in particular to blame for this goal. That's Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we, we so, on every goal that I think we've ever analyzed, you know, sometimes a great goal happens and we will applaud players, of course, for great goals. But we do always look... Like most goals only happen because something has broken down somewhere defensively. Right. Uh, I know there were breakdowns. Like obviously, you know, should Stefan have had 
gotten more on that initial header. Uh, play, you know, should he have been able to head that out of bounds to give the the American defense a chance to recover? Uh, should Dest have been in better position? But is that asking a lot on kind of a bang bang play, which that was? Uh, you know, someone clearly lost their their man at the back post for Keisha Fuller to be right. by himself to score that goal. So there were breakdowns seemingly all over the place, but I'm having a hard time narrowing it down to one single guy or or a couple single. I don't know. It was kind of a weird. You'd like that fluky goal. You'd like Des to do better one v one. Yeah, I mean you always would. By the way, it's not why he's on the team. No. Now I'm not saying that gives him free reign to not defend. <laughs> no, but 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 that's not. He's not here because defending is his strong suit. He's here because of what we saw 24 minutes after that. Right, and look at the way he even tucked in as well. He's playing as that almost extra midfielder, and and it was actually Musa that was often in the first half providing the width, and that that really worked well. The the response to the goal you have to be heartened with. Now Yes. However, having said that, not to write off what you're saying, but anything other than that response would have been embarrassing. Oh yeah, sure. At home against, in a game that you have to win against an opponent that I think the US are better than. Well some anything pi- other than consistent, relentless pressure after giving up a goal sixty seconds into a qualifier would have been unacceptable. Some people were calling Costa Rica the AARP All Stars. I mean, JJ, have you ever seen a nation cling to its golden generation the way Costa Rica are? I believe that they are developing cryo chambers for all these guys. Well, I don't know. Legitimately. Well, not for Brian Ruiz. We'll get to that, too. Mm. Uh, But yes, you are right. The response was what it needed to be. And in some ways, I think I even said to you while we were watching it that there was like a weird part of me, like an evil part of me, that was almost. Don't take this the wrong way, everyone. That was almost pleased with the U.S. giving up the early goal because it was going to force them. Benedict Arnold. Because it was going to force them to attack, to just attack, attack, attack. And let's all be honest, they're more fun to watch when they're playing that way. Uh, I agree with you. I think if you're going to concede... By the way, have, I don't. it doesn't mean I want that to always happen. No. Okay? Please never do it again. Because sometimes we'll play a team with an average age of 27. <laughs> and that might not be such a, a wise course of action. But it does force a team onto the front foot. It, it also forces Costa Rica into what they wanted to do for the whole game. I think it was Taylor Twellman said it, and he was so right. They want to be narrow. They want to be compact. They want to show you the outside. They want to cut out crosses. They don't want to. They want to defend deep, and they want to do whatever they can on the break, or pick up a free kick, or do something like that. They're not counterattacking and set pieces. We're going to be how they won this game. Their midfield was a wasteland. Uh, by the way, not just Brian Ruiz looked, um, and we'll get to his slow and cumbersome nature, but like Viniegas. Just, you know, there was never... I know, go- and then they brought on, at the end, Christian Bolaños, and I was like, this is this is like a testimonial. You said, is it his testimonial? <laughs> Which was was unkind, I felt. But, uh, yeah, they, you know, there was, no, there was never going to be a dynamism to this Costa Rica team. But I'll tell you what they did do. They did defend pretty well. And yeah. It, and it took something, and we might as well get to it, it took something absolutely special, a worldy, if you will, a reminiscent of his first goal against Jamaica, uh, which was a friendly last year, Serginho Dest. That was a lovely move from begin from its conception right to the end, and no keeper saving that, Andrew. No, I mean if Kaylor Navas can't, then most he could have can't. had all his, the weight 
of his Champions League medals in his right hand and thrown them at the ball, it would not have been enough to deflect it off its course. Here's what it sounded like on ESPN2. Chance to regroup, but here's Dest. Oh, just like his first goal for the US. Back against Jamaica earlier in the year. It's another thunderbolt from Serginio Dest. And at long, long last, the United States have discovered how to score a first half goal. It's actually, uh, so that goal came from just over 20 yards out. It was actually the furthest goal for an American player in qualification since Christian Pulisic against Trinidad in 2017. Interesting. Also, Dest's first goal with his left foot, ever. Amazing, because the Jamaican one was with his right. That is, folks, why he's in the team. Not not that we expect him to pull out a worldie every game and, and rescue the show. Not the case. But attacking-wise, he brings something... He can beat players with a piece of skill. He can link. He can combine. I loved what was going on down the right-hand side. Very much so. Now, if I had a criticism of the overall passages of play in this team was that centrally, it was kind of... Credit to Costa Rica, they clogged up the middle in front of their goal. But we didn't have that kind of central creativity that you get with a Reina or a Pulisic. Pulisic. We, did, we didn't yeah. have it. It's- so it was... Two U.S. fullbacks go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. There you go. Um, and and Musa sometimes, and you know that's fine. But a lot of crosses were cut out. A lot of crosses were just intercepted at the at the at the key moment, and that's where you miss maybe that that kind of central creativity. Of course, of course. Uh, you know, Christian Pulisic not being in the lineup for the U.S., you're going to feel it. They're going to have to play differently. They're not going to. There's an element of their attack that they're missing. He's their best player. Like it's 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 simple. Uh, this goal, though, I mean, you talked about it. What a nice goal to watch. Just like back to front, the way it started, quick passing, um, accurate passing. I believe it was Aronson who really set the move off with the ball up to Wea, uh, who then played it across to Musa, who found Dest. And look, Costa Rica. You're right, they were compact, but that was one of those situations where maybe their compactness hurt them because they did. no one really seemed willing to want to come out and defend Dest right, and right. be afraid of maybe getting burnt, conceding a penalty, I don't know. So they just kind of said, okay, well, we'll give you that. And from 20 yards out, he took it, and pff, beautiful. Uh, I exactly know what you're saying there. I still think Matarita. <laughs> somebody's got to come. He, he, he makes a half attempt to do it, and then he doesn't follow through, and he just lets. I guess maybe he thought he's on his left foot. He's on his left foot. Maybe he'd done his homework. He won't fancy this and it flies right in the top corner. Interesting thing about that left-hand corner where the goal uh, was generated from. The two shaky moments of that first half where you thought, towards the end of that first half, came from trying to play out of that area. And that's, again, going back to grit or bravery, to try and keep passing and playing like Jurgen Klopp often says, you're not going to not give up some chances, especially if you play that way. And one of those incidents led to what I still think was a penalty. So that's we'll go to that now. The goal was in the 25th. We fast forward to the 37th. And it's, like you said, coming from out of that corner initially, a little bit of, you know, Yunus Musa is trying to clear once the ball is out of that corner. I believe it's him that tries to clear it. It takes an awkward bounce, and next thing you know, from that bounce... It's a through ball. It's a through ball. And, like, 
I, I mean, maybe you want more conviction on his clearing attempts. Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes weird things happen in this sport. I don't always feel the need to blame somebody for kind no, of— No, we don't a, have to. This is a series of things that happened. Yes, yeah, a series of misfortunate events. Sounds like a, uh, a Wes Anderson movie. He's is got, that Wes Anderson? Though? Yeah, he's got a new yeah. one coming out. I saw the trailer for the, it. The French Dispatch. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah. It looks great, but you're going to hate it. I mean, it just looks like every single movie he's ever made. But like, I lo- how can you even differentiate from all the other the ones? Cast is, the cast is killer. It's yeah, absolutely. It's the same as his other ones. All his movies are the same. The he, first time he's I a saw genre. When I saw the trailer, but like you can make a slightly different movie than the previous ones. The first time I saw the trailer for it, it was when Owen Wilson was hosting SNL. He did his, mon- his opening monologue, and then it goes to commercial, and it's a trailer for that. And I thought that it was, it was a, a skit. skit. Yeah. Because they've done that before. Like, But anyway, a series of misfortunate events occur. And now Costa Rica's in on goal. And Chris Richards called into duty, sw- comes flying in, risky challenge, but successful one. Um, no, was a penalty called? No. Successful challenge. Well, I think on another day... In another VAR era, that could have been given as a penalty. But I don't think it could have. Yeah. I don't know that there's anything conclusive there that gets that overturned. Yeah, that's a fair point, too. Um, I'm try- I'm thinking of a similar incident. That's uh, not actually similar. Uh, it was the one where uh, two seasons ago, Napoli are playing in the new camp, and Messi is, is pulling back his leg to fire a shot and... No, no, no. Actually, the defender is going to clear it. He's pulling back his, his foot and Messi nips in. But actually, it's it's not the same thing. It's really not. Why have I, I gone down I, this I road? I want to watch you struggle. Yeah, it's let's not all the just, same. Let's all sit for a moment and just watch as I, JJ. He's starting to sweat. I yeah. can see beads. Yeah, it's it's not working out. I'll wait. I'm just going to abandon that. <laughs> I, I Maybe you're right. Actually, your analysis in the VAR era is correct. There's not enough there to say the referee has made a clear and obvious mistake and that that, need, there, that needed to be redressed with a penalty. But I had my heart my, my, my heart was in my mouth. Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, um, one of the questions I was going to ask you tonight was the turning point of this game. And I was thinking about it going back and forth on, I mean, the Dest goal was my initial one, which I guess feels a little bit obvious. But I, I might actually go with this moment, and I'll give you know it was close, but I'll give Richards credit. Like that's a goal-saving challenge that he's called upon and instinctively makes. Um, and who knows if Costa Rica score there? It's not too far before the whistle blew for the end of the first half. Maybe they're carrying some momentum in. Um, I don't know. I, I I'd be imagine how we would have been feeling going to the locker room down two one. It would have wouldn't have been great. So. I think that might have been my turning point. Richards th- making that play. I think for me, in in a in a two one game where you're you're you are on top possession wise, and you're trying to break down this stubborn team, the second goal obviously in the sixty fifth minute. Fuller, actually, forget before we get to weigh a shot cannoning in off the post and the goalkeeper, the the turning point is Fuller just not making that ball skids across to him on a superbly wet surface. May I add? You may. Wonderfully uh, moistened. And it, it flies up. Fuller does not control it and weighs in. So I think that was the turning point for me, not the uh, not the penalty. Okay. Um, don't have much more else on the on the first half. We'll go to the second half. 
And uh, still 1-1. We take it to uh, – so around the 55th minute, uh, the U.S., again, some of what we were seeing, good build-up play, uh, lots of good passing. It winds up with Brendan Aronson, gets a shot off. But, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's saved. And then we come right back. U.S. have it again, kind of passing back and forth around midfield. And then Miles Robinson, whom we have – not really had a moment yet since he's emerged. At the we've Gold enjoyed Cup. it immensely. We have not had a moment where we've had to say, "Miles, what are you doing?" But that moment, every it, that moment comes calling for everyone eventually, and it came calling for him. Uh, but fortunately for him, it was Brian Ruiz who did the calling. And I mean, so Ruiz takes that the, the lazy pass from Robinson, and he's in on goal. And his lack of pace was stunning. Like I'm not even trying to be funny. It looked. Weird, like he, he got old, <laughs> old. Like that's thirty six or not. That is an old thirty six. I mean, the guy has not stopped playing. And like credit too to Miles Robinson. So I guess that's why he's old. <laughs> but like credit to Miles Robinson, who who immediately recognizes what he's done. Ruiz is in on net, and Robinson's speed. Yes, he, I've recognized. I've kicked the ball straight yeah, to their striker. And, and you know, we've seen Robinson flash great recovery speed on players far faster than Brian Ruiz so we know he's capable of it but I mean it he almost looked like Usain Bolt with the player that Brian, he was catching Brian Ruiz was never a speedster and now he's just just slow really really slow uh Mika Kellner tweeted us thought he was going to stop to light a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> look at us neither of us are in any kind of shape oh, sitting dude, here dude chip Oof. Yeah. Sitting here, I'm making there. fun I, of a I, professional athlete. When's the last time you sprinted for anything? Let's see. When was the last eclipse? I sprinted today. Just <laughs> doing some running. Oh, really? Yep. Doing some training to get back playing soccer. After so my... was this just like a way to humble brag that you were working out today and I that you sprint? I was looking for a way to shoehorn it in. Okay. And I found it. <laughs> we're but all yeah. very proud of you. Yeah, thanks. Uh Ruiz. Ruiz is such a good player, by the way, and he's had he's had an excellent career, but honestly, he would have been better with his skill set to get his head up and try and clip it over. Oh, I mean Ah, uh, uh, like well, running's not working out for him. The old ham um, can you can you imagine the conversation with his ham his hamstrings were having with it? Brian. Brian, what are you doing? What would we be sitting here Brian, saying? Brian, we don't sprint anymore, Brian. So, Brian, stop this. <laughs> what would we be sitting here saying right now? If he's in on goal, and from 40 yards out, he just decides to blast one, and it goes into row <laughs> F. Better than that, because that, that at least at least John Champion would have got a wrong decision there from Brian Ruiz instead of Brian Ruiz looking slow and old. Yeah, I mean, I guess neither is a particularly good option. But that was a frightening moment, and you know, it's always good when a player can, like Miles Robinson, can learn from something while not necessarily have it bite him in a in a crippling way. You know, like you can learn from a mistake without necessarily needing it to result in a goal for the opposition. I, to speak positively about him, there were other times where he swept up, yeah. just came out of the center, won the ball, won 50-50 balls, but or nipped in ahead and then played a really good pass. I like him a lot. Oh, before this podcast is over, you and I were going to give, after this qualifying round, we were going to give what we now believe our preferred 11 to be. And just he's, just a bit of a tease, you know, not to give too much away, he's in it. Yeah, like, for sure. He's one of the first names that come to mind. So, you know, everyone's entitled to a mistake. It's it's sports. Like, it's going to happen to everyone, and I'm not going to hold it against them, certainly. All right. Um, 
And then not long after that, J.J., the U.S., they continued to apply pressure. They continued to maintain possession. There aren't, I mean, the, the frightening Costa Rican moments you can count on really just, I would say, three fingers. The goal that they scored, uh, the one we talked about with the Richards diving in, and then probably this Brian Ruiz one. If we want to reach, we could say maybe the, one of those free kicks near the end yep. when uh, the ball kind of bounced around and Waston gets called for a foul, but there, nothing really developed. It was just kind of a frightening spot. So, you know, it, this was U.S. possession, 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 a lot of the game in the middle to final third. And then, sure enough, Costa Rica, uh, Weston McKinney tries to play a ball across field. By the way, he had done that quite well throughout the course of the game. I thought his passing was was pretty good. This happened to be a moment where it was terrible. And yet, <laughs> go figure, this is the moment where it benefits the U.S. on an awful bungled clearance attempt. Uh, if he gets that, I mean, that's it cut out. And, and and we were in the middle of what I call the toil. We were trying to get around the outside, like I said, trying to get in, get the ball into the box, get those those cut back Manchester City crosses, and get someone on the end of them. It wasn't happening, mm-hmm. and this was that bit of luck you need. Yeah, the clearance is bungled. Winds up to, with Serginio Dest, who plays in again on that right side, which was trouble for Costa Rica all night long. Dest plays in the perfectly weighted ball to Tim Weah, who's on only because Paul Ariola was hurt in pregame warmups. And Weah does what he's supposed to do, takes it first time. They made, a, uh, I thought, a great point on the broadcast of saying he's got to take that first time. If he, if he applies a touch to it, the angle's going to be cut down. Chance might go wanting. Uh, and Weah knows that. You can see in the replay, it's, it's really all instinct. It doesn't even look like Weah is looking at goal. He just kind of knows he has got great spatial awareness, positional awareness, knows where he is, and he blasts one. Uh, I would have liked it to have gone to him as the goal but I'll take an own goal certainly and uh good for Tim Weah man he's dealt with injuries he's been kind of in and out of the lineup you know and I was I was happy that you know again own goal but credit to him for making that happen yeah he's not in my starting 11 when everyone's fit but he's been a busy presence and you know lively like you said where is Weah He, he popped up somewhere you know that that front three seemed to be fairly fluid he's you know Credit to him. He kept going. Like I said, I'm not I'm not fully convinced that he gets into my starting 11 when everyone's fit, but um, we needed him tonight. Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing about that, too, when Kaylor Navis went out at halftime, uh, we kind of said, I wonder if this will will rear its head in some way. And goalkeeper winds up with an own goal. Yeah, and it nearly did on a cross later on as well, which he came and completely missed. And uh, I think the fact that he came with such... Un, un, um, unrequired conviction because he really wasn't going to get anywhere near that ball. It put Matthew Hoppy off, who would come on uh, to play centre forward. But yeah, na- na- the psychological blow that was for Costa Rica to see someone as secure as Navas coming off and this keeper coming on, Marrera, was. Um, you, you could see it. You could yeah. see it even in the way they defended. And then, really, from there on out, the US, you know, continued to apply pressure. Didn't get that third goal, which really would have been nice, obviously. He didn't uh, create a whole ton after that. Not to, really. To be perfectly honest with you. And that that is the thing for me with this team at the moment. I think there's a lot of possession of the ball. There's a lot of good movement. There's some nice combinations. Um, but not, not enough end product. And I think they should have been further ahead than they were at full time. But, again... After such a shocker against Panama, you you just needed to finish with a positive here, and and three points. Absolutely, you know that what you talk about the end product, things like that. You know, I think if there was one thing that 
this is kind of now bridging from the game into kind of like greater overreaching topics of, of this team after these three games. If there's one thing I'd like to see them improve that can help in that area of extending leads, I think set pieces have got to get better. They just don't – they did not really in these three games, they, didn't, they just didn't look threatening. Uh, I think Aronson maybe he seems to play in a better ball. Yes. Um, but uh, it's – they're not. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like they're getting close, really. And some of that, you know, it only takes one to completely change our mindset on they had how one, threatening they are. But. They had one little clever routine, uh, which didn't quite come off. But I like that they're doing that. Yes, but there was a point during the spring summer, especially in the tournaments, where me and you thought we're pretty dangerous on set pieces, and we were against Mexico. But the deliveries since then have not been good enough. And we need to do more with them because, please, God and his blessed mother, when we qualify for a World Cup, we'll play against better opposition where maybe chances are at more of a premium Mm -hmm. and we'll need to have something in the locker from set pieces. Right, absolutely. I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We've got a couple things we want to talk about. Some of our standout performers um, who looked a little bit shaky, like we said, our preferred eleven as we head into the next three uh, World Cup qualifiers. So there's still a lot to do. You have a mailbag prepared as well. Uh, so, yeah, lots to get to here on a victorious, victorious Wednesday night in the United States. More caught offside still to come. Back now on caught offside. Let's see. J.J., I... Uh, Some of the things I want to talk about. I gave my turning point. I said that uh, Richard's diving in on that last-ditch tackle. Did you have one? I gave you it. You said I thought it was Fuller's mistake on the McKinney pass because, like, we shouldn't think that we somehow peppered their goal because we didn't. We had a lot of nice build-up and crosses, and we needed a break. And that was just the bit of Lady Luck smiling on us to get that go-ahead goal. Yeah, I haven't seen the XG from this one. I'll give you the XG, my uh, buddy. I would be curious to see it. The U.S. Went, uh, they finished the night with twelve shots, five on goal to Costa Rica's four shots, three on goal. So and, and again, shots on goal is not the disparity is not much. No, uh, the XG Andrew was for the U.S. and I, I think it's a disappointing XG, one point four two. Obviously, Costa Rica's was negligible. It was like point two four, but one point four two. So, you know. Obviously, it wouldn't. Death's goal wouldn't have been a high percentage no. shot. So, mm. and I wonder what way it was. Kind of a tough angle. Goalkeeper got a lot on it. Yeah, like we said, went down as an own goal. So, and then aside from those chances, there are not. There weren't a ton others where I remember thinking I, he's got a score. Yeah, I thought. Um, I thought Pepe's header in the first half. He's got to do better with that. I thought that's one he he'll want back. Where it just seemed to slip. It went straight across the goal. It didn't even go on frame. Yeah. But he should have really hit the target there. But you know we didn't. Like I said, we didn't open them up. Don't don't kid yourself. But there were still mm. nice passages of play. Uh, standout performers is one thing I wanted to talk about because you know they talked about him during the broadcast, and he's not underrated by any means. We all know how important he is, but. I wanted to mention Tyler Adams because he like like they said he really does do all of the things that kind of allow both the attacking players to play their game and get forward and while simultaneously providing a nice shield to our back four and I saw this note on uh, on Adams uh during these um 
World Cup qualifying, he's played 488 of 540 available minutes so far in World Cup qualifying. He's a rock for them. Yeah. And they, you know, I do wonder, like, if we were to say, let's say the U.S. are heading into a World Cup, and, like, who's the one player that just, like, cannot be hurt? That, like, you've, that you've got to have. Well, that used to be the, the Pulisic factor. For me, it still is, but Adams has narrowed that gap. I, I, it's those two, for me, that are almost in a, a category of their own. I think the, the driving seat of your team is taken out then. The, the, the control center of your team is gone. Uh, it, it doesn't just expose your, your defense. It also dictates how you play going forward. He's a hugely important player. It covers so much ground, wins so many, so gets on the ball so much, initiates attacks, a good decent passer of the ball. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you. Um, offensively, uh, Pulisic, and then on the other end, it's it's Tyler Adams. Yeah, um, I don't think that is a controversial view. No, I don't think so either. I also would say that the the construction of that midfield with Musa, Adams, and McKenney is probably not one he should he should tinker with too much. I think that's a solid. That's the best options we have in there right now. Let's let's table that for our standout eleven. Okay, all right. Because I think that's an interesting that that part of the field is interesting. Uh, other standout performers for me, you know, I did put Serginho Dest down as one of mine just because. Um, yes, I'm sure that he's going to take some heat, justifiably so, for the goal that was allowed. But like I said, he's on this team because of what he brings in attack and we saw it in the first game of the of these three against Jamaica and we certainly saw it tonight with him scoring probably the best goal of his career I would say up to this point um so like keep it up this is what this is what you're here to do like, Andrew, Andrews Andrews this is this is good this is headline stuff gundling message to Dest keep it up no but that's why he's here no is, you're right is to provide that dynamism in attack and so like he's doing it and Tyler Adams will be forever busy while he is <laughs> while he is gallivanting up the field you're going to need a guy who's going to be able to recover in and fill, fill the fullback positions yes if you're going to have a midfield the way that the the US has you know I'm reminded of the jobs that many of the Liverpool midfielders have to do which is to, to cover the fullbacks uh, one other name I put down here well, I'll mention two others real quick. Uh, I will say Weston McKinney real quick. He, Yes, you are right. Uh, he had moments tonight where he... Just overran the ball. Overran the ball. couple heavy first touches. But overall, I thought his passing was pretty sharp. And just in general, like, I'm glad that he was brought back into the fold. Uh, I thought that he played well tonight. Um, so, you know, generally happy with, with Weston McKinney's performance tonight. And I'll say Chris Richards as well. You know, not just on the last-ditch tackle, which I thought, like I have said now, was maybe the biggest play of the game. Um, but there were several moments throughout the course of this game where I kind of found myself saying, he's like, he's really playing well. This is, you know, that's, I, I don't know. There's a lot of guys currently auditioning for what I believe is the spot next to Miles Robinson. I think Miles Robinson has made himself undroppable. And, you know, I... One moment I think it's Brooks, and then we see Brooks struggle, and then I think it's Walker Zimmerman, but then he's taken out, and Chris Richards is given a chance, and Richards is playing well too. It's nice to have depth at that position. I think my outstanding players were Robinson, the Anthony, mm-hmm. Adams, and uh, Musa. Okay. And do you want me to pick my eleven? No. Uh, okay, sure. L- let's let's go to that. So I have mine written down here. 
I'm um, I'm I'm going to be fudging one or two positions. Should we do this together? We'll go from back to front. Okay. All right. Let's start in goal. I have Matt Turner. I have Matt Turner. Now uh, we haven't really talked about that yet. That was of all when the when the lineup was released tonight. That was really more than anything else the thing that I went. Mm. Huh. Now, I shouldn't necessarily be surprised that Stefan was given a game in these three. Um, but he didn't necessarily he didn't he certainly didn't do anything tonight that would make me say, okay, he's he's back to being our number one. It's for me, it's still Turner. And it's really, you know, not that Stefan is bad. He's a great second option, sure, but to, for me, it's not close. i I thought it was an unnecessary change to make tonight. We have a tweet, which will go into a bit more depth on that, and but we'll save that. I didn't think that change needed to be made. The idea that Turner couldn't play three international games as a goalkeeper, unless he was a knock, he had a knock or something like that, why Stefan had to come back in? Don't forget, you have a relationship. I know that the centre-halves changed again, so but you have a relationship with your defence after a while that's built up between Turner and them and you're just throwing Stefan back in there as an unnecessary kind of mixing agent. You don't need to do it. You don't need to put this I'm not when I say unstable, I'm not saying that, but an unstable um you don't need to destabilize is a better way of putting it, a defense like that. I don't I didn't make sense to me at all, Andrew. And, and is and Turner sure enough, is Turner your number one now? Uh-huh. Well then if Turner's your number one, he starts every qualification game. Yeah. I don't think goalkeeper is not a chop and change position. I've never felt it was. Uh, people are going to say, well, you know, you see goalkeepers in the cups, at, you know, in club competition, they play in the cup and then they don't play in the league. That's a different thing. The, the, the World Cup qualifiers are, you know, each game is has its own weight in gold. They're important. And you have a starting keeper. It's as simple as that. Matt Turner's mine. Uh, let's move to defense then. Uh, I've Serginho Dest, uh, Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, and mm. Anthony Robinson. I think the two fullbacks now are established. I like the agreed. I like the ball progression of Anthony Robinson. Dest, we've already spoken about about how important he is, and the two centre backs. I'm not convinced watching Brooks either for his club or for the U.S. Men's National Team that I want him there, and. Could Walker Zimmerman come in and do a job? Of course he could. I, I I like Robinson, and I think Richards is a good footballer as well. And I'll, I would just stick with that. Wow. For now. So I have three of those four as well. Okay. Like you said, the fullbacks, it's, to me, it's now at a point where I don't even know if it's a conversation. Uh, Miles Robinson, one of the first names on my team sheet. That other center back position is really tough. Yeah, I, I've just decided to go for, for Chris Richards. You're all in. Wow. I'm just going to go for that. And uh, not having seen him in a partnership with Miles Robinson against really top-class opposition is obviously just throwing caution to the wind, but that's what I'll go with. In the interest of brevity, rather than go through all my crippling concerns about Brooks. There are, th- <laughs> there are things about Brooks. There's so much of me. I wonder if other American fans feel this way. There's, there's so much of me that just wants to say it's Brooks. Of course it's Brooks. And w- but we did. We spent a lot of this time on the podcast like, doing know, that. He's got the experience. He plays a prominent role in a in a major European league. He scored a goal in the 2014 World Cup for the U.S. Yeah, he's you got love all that, that goal, don't you? That was great. One of the great U.S. goals ever scored, right? Mm. Got to be. Mm. Um, 
and he is a he's a really good player. But like, you see him, yeah, Andrew, and, when he goes a wandering. Well, what Jeff Carlisle when we had him on um, after the la- the first three games from the octagonal, um, you know, Jeff talked about how th- the one element with Brooks that's hard to account for is for whatever reason he like whatever he's doing in his with his club in Germany, he does not travel well with the U.S. Whether it's because of Concacaf and you know the heat that he's not used to, or the lar- long distances that they have to fly, or whatever, mm. you know that's Jeff has covered U.S. soccer for an incredibly long time. He's seen a lot. He's studied these guys, and like him saying that was interesting to me. That it's kind of hard to explain. He didn't travel well to Lille either in the Champions League, Andrew. And and. You know, we saw we saw him do things that he does for the U.S. men's national team for his club. That you're like, oh. like picking up those yellows, pulled out of the center by Burke Yilmaz, yeah. grabs him around the neck, yellow, and then again he's in the same position in the second half. You know, just erratic. Now there's for me. there are things that I do like about him. Like I've always said, I think he's an excellent passer. I love having that ability to pass. You know, but you to, can't to switch you... play from out of the back on a long diagonal ball. I love, especially with how fast our fullbacks are. But Richard thought... Richards and Robinson can pass as well, and they're comfortable on the ball. Yeah, but uh, yes, they're definitely comfortable on the ball. I agree. I agree with that. But that long ball, you know, with Anthony Robinson flying down the far wing and Brooks being able to pick him out with a ping ball. There's something about that. that How that often I like. do we see that ball? For to, I wonder. I don't know enough. Okay. That I, that I know it's in his bag. That I know. I'm not he can arguing. Do it. I'm just. I'm just. Just t- that him more than any other guy that we're going to talk about as we go through this. He's the one that I have the hardest time with. Right now, I mean, if you're asking me today, if the U.S. had a World Cup game tomorrow, I, I would probably go Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. I just I thought that they looked great next to each other. Now again, that was Jamaica, and that was not a strong Jamaican side. How much would you like to see if you could do an experiment? And I'm going to pick a centre forward, maybe Zlatan, or maybe even someone more mobile. Maybe Zlatan and a mobile player, and you had a controlled like backs and forwards training game, and you could swap in and out your centre backs. I would love that because we, you didn't see it tonight, and you didn't see it against Jamaica. You know, maybe Nicholson, maybe maybe Nicholson did decently for Jamaica against against uh, Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, but I would like to see those guys come up against some serious opposition. I agree, and it and the next match that this team plays They're is gonna, against Mexico. So and we, so who, like to me, let's assume Raul Jimenez versus like <laughs> there you go who who they play that night at at their center backs in general really who they start that night in that game against Mexico in the U.S. That is going to tell you who Bearhalter's eleven is. Like none of this. Like that will be the first match of the of those three in that next window, um, and so it, it, whoever's playing that night, like uh, barring injuries, you know, I'm assuming Pulisic and Reina hopefully will be fit and ready to go for that. Please, Lord, um, like that's that will tell you who his World Cup team is that night. But so I'm curious that that second center back spot is fascinating to me because I just don't know. All right, midfield. Uh, midfield's easier. Musa Adams. Weston McKinney. Yeah, so I agree. Now, here's my only caveat with that. First of all, I like this sort of little, like, kind of triangle that they play where Adams is is kind of at the back of it, and it allows him to just kind of, like, help out when Dest is going forward yeah. and stuff like that. And if needs be, he can slide into a center-back position. Yep. He can do all those things. With, you know, McKinney and Musa in a little bit of an advanced position. And so then that brings us to the front three, uh, which I think we have the same, Pulisic, Reyna, and Pepe, right? 
Um, yeah. So here's my only thing. Um, can, if they, I would not necessarily be against the idea of moving Reyna maybe into the Musa spot in the midfield. And if Brendan Aronson, you know, depending on what the opposition is, like his speed, his energy, there are going to be games where, yeah. where we'll love that. Uh, so, you know, Aronson is one that it's, it's hard for me to, to leave him out of the 11. Now, I love him as a sub, too. Um, the thought of him coming in in the 65th of a 1-1 game when guys are tired and all of a sudden heat, you got to deal with him now? Yeah. That's scary. Uh, but can, can that, I, that's the only thing that I, I go back and forth on as well. I I would just have one caveat with the sliding ran into a deeper line midfield position in that I like the, the drive abundant skill but I like the drive and physicality of Musa there which Reyna does not have mm-hmm. okay um, but yeah we're not we're not too far off on our teams there old old Spursy Andy yeah uh, yeah no we're, we're really not I'm a little I'm a little surprised that you went Chris Richards right into that spot I know you've been down on Brooks for a while I'm I'm worried concerned <laughs> you are you're like a nervous parent I am um couple of tweets Andrew Michael Byerts is Greg Berhalter the OGS Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of the US possibly out of his depth tactically unable to get the best out of the talent in his team and yet consistently able to pull out a result when he needs one you can't argue with the latter part about him being able to pull out a result when he needs one I'm not sure I'm not sure it's fair I would say I know what Greg Berhalter is trying to do with his side and you can see it and you can see the development in his side. Look at that goal tonight that we scored. There's a, that's the kind of, was it the commentary said that that's the football Berhalter promised? That is kind of true. Um, I don't see that with OGS at all. I don't see that with Solskjaer at all. So in that regard, I would say Berhalter is, is ahead of Solskjaer. I am not willing to say that he's out of his depth. I don't think that's fair. Um, I, trophies have to count for something. Uh, you know, I know World Cup qualifying is is and the World Cup is everything, but beating Mexico twice over the summer, one of which was with a B or C team, um, like it just it has to count for something. It just does. Like part of the reason you play this game is to win trophies. So especially against your biggest rival, it has to count for something. So I can't just disregard that the way some people are willing to do once you get to qualifying. And, you know, like we keep talking about, like every game they play, they're setting a new record for the youngest team they've ever played. They're dealing with injuries to some of their best players. And yet, you know, Mexico is still playing as we speak. Uh, so I don't necessarily know, but you know, what, what is the table right now? Are the U as we're doing this podcast? Are the U.S. top? So, like yeah. again, do the do the results count for anything? I know that the Panama loss, yeah, that was bad, and there have been a lot of bad games, bad halves of football, but results have to matter. They just, I don't know. I I can't. I understand a lot of the concerns. Of course I do, but you know, some of the some of the the fervor that you get with fans who want him gone um you know out of his depth i don't know i i'm not i'm not there we can well we can't assess we can't assess that reality yet we'll know we'll we'll probably know in in the next window we'll have a clear review exactly where his depth is yeah i mean that mexico game will be telling certainly i, mean, I definitely all, this, think so the us always well, it's a mexico measures. game that you can't say 
you can't put on, you can caveat the Nations League final, the CONCACAF Nations League final. Oh, well, you know, it was a one-off game. It was whatever, Nations League, yada, yada, yada. And you can caveat the Gold Cup, not the US first team, uh, Mexico, blah, 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 blah. There's no caveats now come November. There isn't. You won't be able, it's a World Cup qualifier against Mexico in Cincinnati at home. The caveats, the the excuses will be gone. Well, the, I mean, the caveat, we don't know yet. We'll see. Like, if, if Pulisic and Reyna aren't healthy, that's important. I mean, you're talking yeah, about but two still, of, you're your, still, your best player and a top three, five, top four best player. But we can still assess performance. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And that's course. and that's a big thing for me. Um, last one, Robert. We won't see this defensive line and goalkeeper when the U.S. play Mexico. So how can they get reps cohesion, which I believe is important? Uh, I again, I would not have changed the goalkeeper. He took out Zimmerman, put in Chris Richards, which suggests there's still some... I mean, his captain from the last day he took out and put in a different um, different player to play centre-back. I really would wish he would get that triumvirate locked in as, as quickly as he possibly can. In, injuries notwithstanding, I would not be changing my goalkeeper in the middle of a three-game World Cup qualifying. It's, I, I don't see the sense in it. Yeah, that that's a point that I think is a certainly a valid one. Um, yeah. Now I know there's still a month between matches, so you know they'll have another camp and they'll come together. But yeah, I, I would like there to be some consistency, really, at at the back. Definitely. Um, some of that might be fitness based. I mean, like we've said, you know, this is a different whatever we're used to in terms of qualifying. This is a different animal. These three games in a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, traveling from Texas to Panama back to Ohio. You know, guys in and out of the lineup due to injury. Like, it's just, it's a little, like, people are not willing to give Bearhalter leeway. Again, I understand that the stakes are, are really high. No room for that. But, like, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's, it's not easy what and he's trying to balance here. Another argument on consistency. Should we just, just for World Cup qualifiers, for the biggies, should we just play at, a, at one home venue? Just no, I'm, lock it in. I know a lot of people have talked about that. By the way, that's been an ongoing conversation in this country for as long as, yeah. as I've been alive. That can't be helpful, though. I mean, I'm, a country I'm, as vast as ours. No, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm really fine with giving all parts of this country. I mean, look, the U.S. Like, like Even said, if it's to the, the detriment US, of the team. Well, they have to be smart about the locations that they choose. Like, I don't think you want to, you know. There's a reason the U.S. doesn't play Mexico in Dallas in World Cup qualifying. You know, like, so they play them in Ohio for a reason. There's yeah. just not going to usually be as much of a Mexican contingency there. So be smart about where you play these games. But stay on tour. But, but I'm, I'm okay with, like, this is America's team, truly. You know, so, like, I'm okay with giving different parts of the country a chance to come out and support them. It's not like in England where you can play in Wembley and you can drag people from two hours away in every direction and you're covering a good portion of the country. It's it's a big country, and I, I, I'm okay with giving fans all across America a chance to, to support them. Okay, fair enough. Well, Andrew, I think tonight was about... From Just that. win, baby. you got to win everything. It's the American way. Uh, they did. They won tonight. It was important. This one, God, what would we be thinking right now had they not? Stop. Don't catastrophize. It's okay, baby. Oh, yeah. Fun, yeah. right? Not really. I oh, creep okay. myself up. <laughs> 
let's see. I don't have a ton else on this one. Let's uh, maybe we'll go ahead and take one more break. When we come back, I know you got a mailbag that we'll close on. A couple other maybe little news and note things. I don't have anything prepared, but um, a couple things that I saw today in the news that might be worth bringing up. So yeah, still, still a lot to do, baby. All right, don't go anywhere. More caught offside still to come. All right. All right. We bring it down the stretch. JJ, I know you have a, uh, a mailbag here for us. Uh, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com is the email. At COSoccerPod is the Twitter. And CaughtOffsideESPN is the Instagram. Follow us there. Join us. Leave us a review as well. That'd be nice. Scottish lungs, Andrew. Oh. Scotland uh, beat Israel at Hampden Park with a, in what was the best game of World Cup qualifying. Uh, Round of World Cup qualifying, I think. Um, 3-2. And here's the winner in the 96th minute from Scott McTominay. Just listen to those lungs. Will it happen here for Scotland? It's John McGinn to float it in. That is, I mean, a classic example of a commentator losing his own way as well. This is massive. I need more synonyms. Yeah. Quick, get me more synonyms. He sounded like me digging a hole over trying to compare the tackle earlier, the penalty tackle, which I got terribly wrong. What a brilliant game. There's nothing like a big goal scored in that building for that team. <laughs> it's incredible. And, you God. know, I found out a lot of Scottish Scottish club fans don't particularly like the, the new Hamden that was... That was renovated. Which I can understand. There's a mile between the yeah. like behind the goal uh, to the field, so it doesn't like, hurt for atmosphere, though. No, it doesn't. It's really quite like you, what you would think is like, oh, that if you were just hearing that, you'd think, oh, the like the the fans must be on the field basically, and like behind that those goals, they're not. They're far away. Yeah. But God, the noise that they generate there is really something. It is indeed. Uh, Joey Power. Staying in that part of the world, my part of the world. Hey guys, Stephen Kenny in or out, the Ireland manager. Is the hype about a win against Qatar really good enough to save his job? Listen to Off the Ball the other day, interesting piece about Robinson and anti-vax. So to start off, the first part of that is Stephen Kenny is basically, he's doing a kind of a bear halter in that he is a manager who's come largely from Irish domestic football, which is, to some people, not good enough, need a Premier League manager, or, or of that ilk. And he is trying to turn around a team, Andrew, that has played a certain style of football, mm-hmm. albeit a very direct style, for the best part of 20 years. And he's trying to change the culture and the way we do things. And he's got Anthony Barry, a Champions League winning first-team coach from Chelsea alongside him, and Keith Andrews. And they put in a performance yesterday that, minnow or not, think what you will of Qatar. And I watched Bearhalter's US struggle against them in the Gold Cup. They're a good side. They're a decent side. They're in a bad run, but they're a decent side. And Ireland 
outplayed them, outpassed them, scored four goals. And is everything rosy in the garden? No, but there was performances against Portugal. There was performances uh, against Azerbaijan there at the weekend where we won 3-0. That give you a lot of hope. And I don't think to save his job, no. First of all, the FAI are in debt to $75 million that they don't have. They, mm. they can't afford to sack him, even no. though he's not on huge wages. They've been at the Barcelona School of Finance. The, oh, believe me, they have. By the way, if anyone wants to read Champagne Football, go go look that up. Uh, it's a book about the mismanagement of Irish soccer, and it's, it's really quite brilliant. But the point is, this is a long-term project. And people are saying, well, football's results-based. It's not. It's not. It's results-based after a while, but when you're in the, the mess Ireland we're in and trying to do the things that they're trying to do, it's going to take time, and I see a lot of hope. As for anti-vaxxing, Callum Robinson uh, was interviewed before the Azerbaijan game. He's had COVID twice, Andrew. Mm. West Bromwich, Albion, um, sent forward. And he won't get the vaccine. Now, we've seen this in sports over here with who Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Um and he wouldn't give. He also didn't give a reason why, which kind of infuriated people. And it, co- it caused an absolute furore in Ireland. The main talk show they were talking about Callum Robinson pushing this anti-vax. It's my choice. It's a personal choice right now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But giving no real reasons why, um, and flying in the face of science, obviously, as well. Um, and then he goes and scores five goals in two games. <laughs> And all is forgiven? No, not all is forgiven. He <laughs> scored his first goal, which was a great goal in uh, Azerbaijan. And he sticks his fingers to his ears as if, what, what? Like as if he's won the battle. I've scored a goal now. Take that, science. Uh-huh. You know? Um, but he's been brilliant. And he seems like a thoroughly nice guy. And is misguided as not taking the vaccine. Is, but he knows COVID so well. He's at it twice. Like He's even admitted losing international caps over having COVID. Like he couldn't travel because... Makes no sense to me. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Uh, Jacob, uh, I find the abuse of the English team by Hungarian ultras part of a larger trend of racism, bigotry, and xenophobia that seems deeply rooted in Eastern European countries. Am I perceiving that correctly? I know that other countries have issues, but it seems abundant from that region. This is a tricky one because I don't want to tar an entire region with the brush of that they're all racists. And I wonder, is this football showing us an element in the country? Just an element in the country. Like, for example, that comes from, obviously, the Carpathian Brigade went on tour and ended up in uh, Wembley and caused violent scenes in the stands at Wembley that we probably haven't seen since the last time Millwall were there. It was actually one of those moments in watching it, uh, there's a lot of videos you can see of it, where I um, I really felt myself fearful for the police. Yeah. Um, I mean, they really looked outnumbered, for one. Which they were. And going up against a group of Hungarian fans that seemed like overjoyed at the thought of fighting them, um, I don't know that it actually that it came. Like, I, it's hard to see because eventually the police kind of recede inside the tunnel, yeah. And then Hungarian fans kind of are going at them, but you can't see what's actually going on in there. Um, but it it looked frightening. Like I actually could kind of feel the fear that those initial that those police officers on the front line of that must have probably been feeling. Yeah. Now, look, um, Jacob makes the point that I know other countries have issues, so we're not doing whataboutery here, but if you look at what's happened in in the Czech Republic as well, uh, in terms of that whole issue with uh, Kamara, the Rangers player, who was 
um, involved in the, who was racially abused. Mm-hmm. And then Rangers, a year later, are back in Prague, but playing Slavia Prague, if I'm getting my Spartas and my Slavias right. And because that club had been involved in a racist incident somewhere else, there was only school children allowed in. And those school children who were not fans of the team that had abused, racially abused Kamara before, started booing every touch that he had. Mm-hmm. And one of them held a sign saying, we support that whatever the opposition player's name was that was accused of racially abusing him in the first place. Like, you can't tell me there's something, not something going on there. Now, I'm not going to, um, you know, just completely tar a whole region with that kind of, with that, with, with the label of, of, of racism, but obviously everyone's not like that. But the kind of, so if you look at some of the regimes that are in these countries, like Orban in, in Hungary, these are far-right, pretty oppressive regimes. And somebody's voting them in. Uh, FIFA have opened up an investigation. Uh, they say, following an analysis of the match reports, FIFA has opened disciplinary proceedings in relation to yesterday's England v. Hungary and Albania v. Poland FIFA World Cup qualifier matches. Um FIFA, of course, they go on to condemn uh, incidents in both games that took place. So we'll see what comes of this. I don't know if uh, if Hungary will have to play a game behind closed doors. Um, we'll we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, scary scary scenes, sadly familiar scenes. Yeah, I would and, say as well. And and we know these regions quite quite primarily through football. So that's what we're seeing of these regions now. For so for Jacob to ask the question, is that is that what these places are really like? It's a legitimate question when you see this all the time. Uh, Jack Klesler finally finished my Sopranos rewatch and saw the Many Saints of Newark last night. While I enjoyed it, I felt it lacked much of what made the Sopranos great. I thought the limits of a two-hour runtime hurt it. Would love to hear JJ's thoughts. Now, I promised a review ages ago. So I haven't seen it yet. Should I like leave the room? Are you going to say things that are going to no. give... Okay. No, I won't. Um, I won't give away a plot. Because there isn't one. Oh. Well, it's... Um, Jack, it's not good. It really isn't good. And you're right about the two-and-a-half-hour runtime. I think if you really wanted to give the characters, the moment, that time in Newark a proper airing it would be like a six part miniseries or something like that and what they've done in two and a half hours is so unsatisfactory the storyline is I mean it's very very limp and it's the, sh- the film is very referential so you're pointing at characters and they're either doing something that was referenced in the original show or they're caricatures of what the younger versions of the of like say for example Polly Walnuts mm. and Silvio Dante, but that's not that's not a story. You can't hang a story on impressions. Uh, one thing that comes up, I won't ruin it for you, by, but but I'll say it anyways. So Uncle Junior's character says the line, "He doesn't have the makings of a varsity athlete." It's just uh, honestly. I do think there's a little bit... Some people will enjoy it because it does that and people can go, ah! Right, like little Easter eggs for the, for the viewers. Right, what, what's that called? Uh, viewer or, or viewer... Um, viewer service, is it? Or something like that. There's a term in the movies for, for, for where something in a prequel is just to make fans of, the, of, that, of that show happy. Okay. And it, this is all it is. It's, 
It's very, very disappointing. I think Ver Vera Farmiga is very good as Livia. I would have loved to fleshed out her her role, her relationship in, in Anthony's life more, but it didn't happen. And um, yeah, I was disappointed. And the more I think about it, the more disappointed I was. Hmm. Um, it wasn't worth doing. It can't taint Sopranos because it's so tangential. Honestly, guys, just go and watch it. There is just not enough in it for it. Uh, every Sopranos episode seemed like a, a hearty meal. Like it seemed like a dense, thick meal. Almost like a some were even movies unto themselves. This is none of that. It's um, it's not very good, and it was a misstep, and it's disappointing. But um, you know, it never had the makings of a varsity film. I guess I don't know. Thank you, Siskel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll have to see it. The Sopranos. If I had to guess, I don't know if you ever said this to me. It's your favorite show. Bye. Of all time. Seven million okay. million miles. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely. I would love say it. you love it more than anyone I've ever known, and that's saying something because it's a lot of people's favorite show. I, I will go home and uh, maybe if there's nothing on TV or if there's nothing I really want to watch, I'll throw on an episode randomly from any season, and I will enjoy it like I watched it the first time. And I might even see little things, hear music I never heard before, you know, just amazing t attention to detail, which unfortunately. Um, yeah, this this prequel doesn't have. Hmm. Well, that's a bummer. I still plan on watching it. Oh, uh, please go watch it anyway. I mean, it only did on its opening weekend five million, because it was launched well, on the stream. It's on too. HBO Max, so I mean, you, it's you, it's hard to base the success of movies that are going to put themselves on streaming services off of the revenue they make. You can't. It's it's not. Yeah, a only fair way psycho of fans it. like me who already have a HBO Max subscription go and pay for another one to, <laughs> to go to the movies and watch it. Definitely. Let's see. I don't have much else. JJ, the uh, of course domestic play returns this weekend. A nice one. Leicester City and Manchester United. I'm particularly curious about Brentford and Chelsea. I think that could be a fun one. On, you could see an upset there, my friend. Yeah, that's a fun one on Saturday. Uh, Everton and West Ham on Sunday. That'll be a fun one as well. And then JJ to cap off your. Premier League weekend for the first time under new ownership, Newcastle at home against Tottenham. Uh, the response to what's happened, uh, the takeover of Newcastle has been, I do not remember this when, and because I don't remember it because it didn't happen, when Abu Dhabi uh, bought Manchester City, which is effectively what happened as well. Um, this is this is much more visceral. People are, people are kind of stunned by what's happened because... There's just no getting around it. Now, uh, Amanda Staveley and the 10% part of the ownership group, they're the ones that have been pushed out front and centre. They visited the training ground the other day. The rumours is Bruce is... Well, the paper rumours are that Bruce will be... Uh, he can't be long for this job. Not long for this job. He can't be. I don't know who... It's this is like a, If you want to get the fans on side, what's the first thing you do? You buy the club and then you you sack Steve Bruce. But like who who's available right now that is a natural fit? Well, when you've got money and everything, uh, there's no natural fits anymore. All of this is unnatural. You know the thing with Newcastle that's like hardest for me to wrap my mind around? So what happens, JJ, every time a Ronaldo or a Messi or a player like that, an Mbappe, they it, there's some kind of like inkling that oh does Messi want does he is he going to leave Barcelona is Ronaldo is he going to leave Ju Juve okay well let's talk we got to talk about where they're going to go well there's only a couple they can only go to PSG or Real Madrid or now we throw Newcastle into the mix it's yeah. such a weird thing it's very strange like when we talk about marquee managers you know like you know when like for sake of Conte it, like where where can Conte go is he going to like is he going to stay in Italy is he going to go to are they going to maybe get rid of 
Oli and bring him. No, well, what about Newcastle? Like, it's just weird that Newcastle has now entered the conversation for all of the most marquee players, managers. And we won't really see that manifest itself until the summer. Um, but it's just like, it's a weird thing. What if, like, it's going to be such a weird thing. The thing is. What if Newcastle, like, really struggle? Like, because this ownership group can't really come in now, unless in January they would just want to go crazy. But there's not usually a ton of high-profile guys available on the transfer market in January. So like, but they ch- their money changes the European transfer market immediately because there's now more cash flow that has suddenly flown into it. There's a new source of cash in the European transfer market. Um, it's very strange. I it's mean, it's very unsettling. Newcastle, like we we should mention, they're 19th right now. Mm. Just gonna, I'll just let that sit there, let that kind of marinate at the thought that this ownership group that's ready to buy every player probably under the sun. They're 19th right now. We'll just follow this. I'm not rooting. I'm not saying I'm rooting for them to go down. There's people on FIFA who've picked like the Newcastle team and they've put Mbappe in name or yeah. Messi in it and they've played the Champions League music over it, which obviously is going to be the the first aim of any new Newcastle manager is to be to be basically skyrocketed into that top five. That top will four. be the mission right out of the gate. No question about it. One other thing before we say goodbye, uh, JJ actually a really a huge NYCFC. New York Red Bulls match coming up on Sunday as well as uh, the playoff picture is fuzzy for both. NYCFC right now sit sixth in the East on 40 points. There's a tie there with three other clubs, DC United, NYCFC, and Montreal. Uh, And then the Red Bulls are outside of the playoff picture on 37 points, a win, and they will be level with their rivals, uh, NYCFC. Now, NYCFC do have a a, a significant goal difference advantage, but – Really interesting to see them play a late season game with uh, with a lot potentially on the line. So that's uh, a fun one for MLS um, coming up on Sunday yeah, afternoon. Yeah, and two managers, I would say that they need to be deep in the playoffs. Uh, maybe Gerhard Strober needs it a little bit less because he's he's newer and there's kind of a there's kind of strange things going on at, at Red Bulls. Like they're trying to their fans are trying to find out what are we anymore? Are we just this? supply line uh, but the other side to it is I think that um, at this point Ronnie Dahlia needs to do something too uh, a deep run in the playoffs and for him to continue being comfortable I suppose and at the very least he's be better get in well that's and that's the minimum requirement they're on the edge but like we said the east is crazy from like the union are in third right now two weeks ago well they've been really hot of late but a few weeks ago, they were on the bubble. So, like, the East is just kind of, we'll know when we know, really, is, like, the only way you can put it with how crazy it is there. This was fun. A much-needed victorious end to this window. Uh, and I can't wait for the next one. I continue to feel this way. This team, I, even when they they drive me nuts sometimes, you know, I get angry at them. But, boy, I just, like, I crave these international windows for these World Cup qualifiers. It's so fun watching this group. By the uh, way, we were we were even watching highlights there before we recorded, and we saw Germany score an absolute beaut. Timo Werner, yeah. Yeah, with a lovely flick on from, I think it was uh, Muller. Uh, and we were like, ooh. International football is still it's still fun. It's having its moment right now. It is indeed. Yeah. It's uh, not as grim as club football. <laughs> well, this was fun, man. I enjoyed it. We'll, of course, be back next week with a look at the weekend in domestic league play. Hey, JJ, to you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 